something has went terribly wrong. A seemingly normal person has turned out to be an absolute killer. Join me as we explore some of the most prolific serial killers and homicides of the 20th century. You're listening to Seven. Hi there, and thank you for joining me tonight for another edition of Seven. I am your host, K-Town, and tonight our special guest is J.T. Hunter, author J.T. Hunter, who is a true crime writer, and he's written a book called A Monster of All Time, and it details the true story of Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper. And um, all of this occurred on the University of Florida's college campus, And it also inspired the movie Scream, which I had no idea until not too long ago. This book is available on Kindle Unlimited, absolutely free. You don't have to pay any extra for it. If you have Kindle Unlimited, also audiobook and paperback. All right, so the book details the murders of five young college students and the crime scenes were unbelievable. And it all makes you question What evil lurked inside Danny Rowling? What demons drove him to kill? Here now is my special guest, J.T. Hunter, here to talk about his book, A Monster of All Time. JT Hunter, my special guest tonight. JT, thank you uh, for stopping by seven. I appreciate you having me on here. You're very welcome. I'm glad to have you. Okay, so before we jump into it, Danny, I want you to introduce yourself to my listeners as far as, you know, just telling us about yourself and why you decided to become a true crime author. Okay, well, uh, my name is JT Hunter. Uh, I am a uh, attorney. Uh, by 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 trade, um, I also teach um, college courses, and I've been writing true crime books for I don't know about I don't know five years now, five or six years, something like that. And uh, as far as why I got into writing true crime books, it probably has a lot to do with my background as an attorney. Um, I find that the process of writing these books and researching these books is very similar to the process of preparing for trials and doing attorney work. And that's a process that I enjoy. I really enjoy digging into the background and cases and, you know, finding out facts, um, pertinent to the cases and um, that's something that, that I've always I've always enjoyed and um, it's kind of connected me over to to doing the true crime stuff and um, every time I get involved in one of these cases it's, it's like I'm doing it all over again so um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I totally get that. Are you a prosecutor? Uh, no, I, I was never a prosecutor. I worked uh, briefly in the PD's office. Um, 
but um, I, I never actually was a prosecutor. Okay. I'm just wondering. But one thing I have noticed is that a lot of true crime writers have a background as an attorney. So find that interesting. Um, okay. So tell us why write about Danny Rowlings, which by the way, inspired the cult classic um, scream. And I didn't know that until <laughs> like three months yeah, ago. I, I had no idea. Yeah, you know? I yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The, uh, the guy that ended up writing the the screenplay for Scream. Um, I think the story went that he was um, he was watching TV late one night and a uh, a news report came on about the Danny Rowling case and he saw that and um, it, it it inspired him to to finish writing the Scream uh, what would became Scream the screenplay he was writing on um, and of course that went on to be a huge success um, spawned lots of sequels and everything but um, but yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't think so um, unless you unless you really looked into it and, and, and saw that but um, uh, as far as what got me interested in rolling um, I think the biggest thing that really stood out to me for rolling was the fact that the murders that he committed really shook this college town um in, in in gainesville where the university of florida is and i just remember when i was younger hearing about it a little bit um, but when i went back and and read about it you know when i when i was older and started looking into it more um just the the effect he had on the town and and just the the way that um it just it just scared everybody in town and, and you know it drove people out away from the school people went home left college um and really held them in a grip of terror and that's that's really one of the things that interested me about it and then really another thing was the fact that the more i looked at it the more i saw that it was more than just a story about rolling um i really see it as, as really being like three stories in one i mean we have we have the story of the victims um, you know, the, 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 the women and the men that, that Rowling killed. Um, we have the story of Rowling, of course. Uh, and then we also have the story of Edward Humphrey, which was, he was, uh, an individual that was suspected of committing the crimes for, for quite a while. And, and uh, because of that, um, he ended up having a lot of, you know, bad things happened to him and um th that was kind of an interesting story I, I thought as well about how someone who's innocent of a crime can be you know everyone thinks they're, it's so sure that he's the one that did it uh and then you know of course it turns out that he had nothing to do with it um it's just kind of a, a lesson in, in 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 being you know sure i guess uh, with the evidence before you know you you go after somebody so it was really kind of those those three stories and one attracted to me as well yeah that is interesting and later on i want to come back and talk about that aspect of it but um okay so you mentioned gainesville so for those that don't know might be some people in the audience don't even know where gainesville is but you said florida but tell us about the town what would it have been like to live there at that time well, Gainesville is, it's, as I said, it's a, it's a college town. It's the, the town really is centered around the university there. Gainesville is where 
University of Florida is located. Um, it's in, you know, central, roughly central Florida, uh, kind of north central Florida, I guess a little bit. But um, but the, the whole town is centered around the University of Florida. It's it's um, you know, it's kind of a, a, a smaller kind of quieter town in some ways. Um, but it, it does have the this huge state university there that that you know gives it this this um this life and this vibrancy as well um and you know back at the time that the rolling case happened this is back in nineteen ninety um so you know a few decades back, so certainly Gainesville wasn't uh, the size it is now um the University of Florida wasn't quite as um expansive as it is now now but uh, it was still a big state university but the town was really almost like a sort of a satellite i guess of the university if you know what i mean um i don't know if you've been in any college towns before but you know the university is, is kind of a central part of the of the town yes i totally understand that i live in a college town too so i I know exactly what you're talking okay. about. And now, is there a major? It does. Does 75 run through there? Does is that like right off? You know, so I know that serial killers. Yeah. You, <laughs> yes. There's. Yeah, I think I think there's like three or four exits off 75 for Gainesville. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So I was wondering. You know, they probably get a lot of visits from serial killers anyway. Um. All right. Uh. Okay. So uh, we got Gainesville and Danny Rollings was there. Okay. Um. Let's talk about the the victims and when the when the first two victims were found there. Okay, so the the victims in 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 Gainesville, um, there were five in total there. Um, these were all college students. Um, all of them except one were University of Florida students, and and then the other one was a another local college student there in Gainesville. Um, but uh, these were all you know, these are all younger men and women, um, you know, 17, 18 years old. Um, and then the last two, I think were 23. So, you know, these are all, these are all young people. They have their whole lives ahead of them. Um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of promise. They were good students and, and you know, they had a lot of potential, um, before, before this happened. Um, so the first, the first victims, um, were, uh, Sonia Larson, uh, she was 18 years old, and Christina Powell, who was 17, she was, they were roommates together there in an apartment complex, um, not far from the university. Um, they were killed in August 24th, in the very early hours of the morning, um, about, I think it was about 3 a.m. or so. And basically what happened is Danny Rowling, um, broke into their apartment and, um, you know, they were both asleep and he, um, you know, did what he wanted to do with them and before he killed them. And that was the first two victims. Um, their bodies were found two days later. Who found them? And, um, well, Christina's family was concerned cause they hadn't heard from her. Her family lived in Jacksonville, I believe. And they hadn't heard from her, like, you know, like she was supposed to contact them, call them. So they drove to Gainesville and um, tried to get in touch with her, 
weren't able to do that. And so they got a hold of the apartment complex manager um, to uh, to do a do basically like a, a check to find out you know if, if Christina was okay and stuff. And um, they ended up calling the the police to come check on them, and that's when the the bodies were found in the apartment complex. Mm, okay, and and what was that scene like? Was that pretty grisly? Yes, Rowling's um, weapon of choice for his killings was a a knife, a large knife called the Kabar knife, and it's uh, it's one of these knives that you know the the military often uses these kind of knives. It's it's a, it's a very large, very sharp knife, and he you know stabbed his victims typically to kill them. So the the, the murder scenes were typically very bloody. Um, very, very much, very brutal killings. Um, you know, he, he sexually assaulted his victims most of the time, um, before killing them. And then sometimes after they were dead too. Um, and, um, that's very much the case at that first murder scene, uh, in Gainesville there. Um, Christina was sleeping downstairs on a couch um, Sonia was sleeping upstairs in her bedroom and rolling into the apartment and saw Christina asleep downstairs and then went upstairs and um, attacked Sonia while she was sleeping, um, stabbed her to death while she was sleeping, and then went back downstairs and sexually assaulted Christina. Um, when he was done, he he had her basically made her lie on her stomach on the floor in the living room and then stabbed her to her back um, multiple times, uh, killing her pretty quickly. Um, and then um, went back upstairs uh, to to do some things with Sonya after she was dead. Um, but both scenes very bloody. Um, you know, they both bled to death, both victims. Um, so that, that was the first two victims. Um, and, and then he had, oh, go ahead. When her parents started to get concerned and they initially went down to check on them, were they able to get inside that apartment or did they have to contact police once they got there? Well, let's see. Her parents drove there and they, like I said, I believe they contacted the apartment manager. Um, and then when that didn't work, they ended up calling the police. Um, and the police showed up at the scene and with the, with the manager of the apartment were led into the apartment. And so it was actually the, you know, the responding police officer was the one that actually entered the apartment and, and discovered them. So thankfully, you know, thankfully it wasn't her parents. Um, that would have been. You know, it's horrific enough to have your child murdered, I would think. It'd be even worse to, you know, be the one that finds the body in that condition. Right, right. All right, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors for tonight's edition. We're happy to have a partnership with Shudder. For those of you that don't know what Shudder is, Shudder is the best when it comes to premium streaming video service covering the whole gamut of horror, thrillers, the supernatural, and even their own originals. And you can start streaming all the creepy goodness right now for just $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. I think we all can agree that right now 
is the perfect time to take advantage of this expertly curated Netflix of horror. And you can stream from many different devices such as Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, Android devices, and even your iPhone or iPad. The first thing I did when I logged on is I went straight to the Supernatural selection. They have all the great favorites, of course, the Halloween series and Friday the 13th collection. But I also ran across one that will really creep you out. It will remind you of a snuff film and it's called Therapy. And Therapy is about Jane and Simon, who are two young police officers leading a routine investigation following the discovery of hidden video equipment in an abandoned house by a night watchman. It is disturbing, so you'll have to check that one out, along with their exclusive titles like Creep Show, Mandy starring Nicolas Cage, Lizzie, One Cut of the Dead, and many more. I want you to follow my lead and find out why I love Shudder. You can get started today streaming the best in horror, thriller, and supernatural content. Again, Shudder's expertly curated collection of titles include Pieces, The Mutilator, Madhouse, From the Dark, and many, many more. To try Shudder free for 30 days, just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code 7. And Shudder is spelled S-H-U-D-D-E-R. Again, to try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use the promo code 7. And Shudder is spelled S-H-U-D-D-E-R. Remember that by supporting Shudder, you are supporting 7. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? And we've all been there, including myself. And sometimes it's very difficult to pull yourself out of that dark place. There are so many things in life that knock us down and there's no shame in getting help. And I want to take a moment to tell you about the services from our friends over at BetterHelp. That's Better, B-E-T-T-E-R, Help, H-E-L-P. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and you're free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is also available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. One BetterHelp user says, after using BetterHelp for three weeks, says Angela is very attentive and very professional when talking to her. I trust what she has to offer and the kind of therapy she is given. I don't feel judged and undermined when talking to her. Another user says, Terry communicates with empathy. She is deeply invested in healing and care. To get help today, I want you to visit BetterHelp.com slash seven. That's Better H E. LP. 
and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This special offer for listeners of seven get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash seven. That's betterhelp.com slash seven. Remember that by supporting BetterHelp, you are supporting seven. Okay, so how did the police approach the 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 crime at this point? Did they um I'm I wanna know if they alerted the public that something was wrong since this was a college town and, and it did occur on, you know, at those apartments where I'm sure there were tons of students living there. Did they alert the public about it? Well, not in, not initially. Um, you know, certainly when other bodies started being found, you know, then the police, you know, dawned on them that something's going on here. We have, you know, someone's doing the same thing to other victims. So, um, you know, at that point, they 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 started alerting people a lot more. And by the time they found, you know, the fifth body, it was widespread news and that's really when you know, the panic in the town really started to set in and um, people, people, you know, parents understandably pulled their kids out of college, told them to come home and, you know, left the, left the city, left, left their studies, left school um, because nobody, you know, at that point, nobody knew who was doing it. Nobody knew if he was still there, um, you know, going after other victims and things. So, uh, you know, the, the the safest thing to do basically was to get out of there. And, and a lot of the students did. Right, right. I don't blame them one bit. So what evidence did they find at those first at the first apartment where the first two bodies were found? Well, Rowling was pretty good about um, cleaning up his crime scenes. In, in fact, one of the experts that they brought down, that the police brought down later to investigate these crime scenes had, had remarked that he was really, it was, it was really one of the cleaner scenes he'd come across considering, you know, the brutality of the crimes and things. But, um, you know, when, for example, when, when rolling after rolling sexually assaulted, um, Christina Powell, he, he was very careful to, um, clean her up, uh, in, including, you know, using soap and things like that to wash her out, to, to get rid of any evidence that might be there. Um, he wore gloves, so he didn't really leave fingerprints uh, around as well. Um, he was pretty good about uh, not leaving much physical evidence at the crime scenes, uh, which, you know, made it difficult for the police as well. What about... Um some uh i hate to say that but you know being that he did have he did things to the bodies and he raped one of the girls upstairs right uh sonia was the one upstairs so he's she's the one he killed while she was still sleeping and okay okay he went he went downstairs and he raped um christina downstairs he did go back upstairs to sonia's body um but he didn't actually have any sexual Contact uh, with activities her. Yeah. with her after after she was dead because okay. because of all the blood basically. Okay, all right, and he didn't leave any of his blood behind. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um. Now I want to know about his admiration. You tell me if that's true. I heard that he admired 
Ted Bundy. Is that true? Um, I don't know how much um, admiration or how much he would have followed Ted Bundy. I mean, I know there's similarities in the fact that Bundy killed university students in Tallahassee, Florida, which is where Florida State University is. Um, so there's a similarity as far as that goes that, you know, you have these university killings by these serial killers. Um, I don't, I don't recall coming across much that indicated he was, you know, um, you know, a particular admirer of Bundy per se. I'm sure he was aware of him and, and what he had done. Um, and, you know, he did when he first came into Florida. He stopped in Tallahassee, and that's actually where he he purchased the knife that he ended up using to commit all these murders with, was uh, in, in Tallahassee when he was there. I'm sorry, did Danny Rawlings have a military background? Yes, he did. Uh, he was in the Air Force for a while uh, when he was younger, um, for a couple of years, and, uh, you know, ended up, ended up getting a, a general discharge from it after after about two years. He did. Okay, so did he, um, do you know at what age he started to... To kill or rape, do you, do you know? Or did it start there in Gainesville? Uh, no, it started before then. Um, it would have started when he was about, in his, around when he was around 30 or so, I would, I would think is about when it would start. Um, you know, he started out, really, really it started younger than then. You can trace it back to when he was younger, when actually we, when he was at high school. He started um, peeping. Uh, so voyeur, voyeurism was a big thing for him when he was younger. He would he would stand outside um, people's houses, you know, usually young women's, and and watch them through their windows, you know, while they undressed and took showers and you know just went around their usual whatever they were doing at home. Um, but he really enjoyed watching them. And that's, that's how it started. And then it, it gradually um, escalated from there to rapes. He committed a number of rapes when he was um, a bit older. And um, eventually it led to the, the murder. So it was, it was an escalating pattern for him that began with the, the voyeurism and then ultimately um, became the became the murders. Weren't there two or three people murdered in uh, Shreveport that they thought Danny probably did as well? Yes, that was uh, a little a little under a year before the Gainesville killings. Um, exactly as you said, there was a, a a family in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, in this was in November of 1989. It was uh, a, a grandfather, um, a 55-year-old man. Um, it was his daughter, who was 24, and it was her son, who was eight years old. So the three of them were the first murder victims rolling. And exactly what I was mentioning a moment ago, this was a family that Rowling had been watching. Um, he had been peeping and watching them for, for quite a while. Uh, and, um, essentially what happened was he, his frustration levels 
reached a, a, a climactic point. Um, he, you know, he was he was fired from a job he had, and um, that that very night he went to the his family's house, the, the Grissom family, and um, you know surprised them, overpowered them, and um, ended up killing all three of them. Mm. That's that's pretty vicious. So was it with the same type knife? Yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't the same one. He hadn't bought the one he used in the game soul cases yet. But yes, he did use a, a knife um, to kill them all, um, stab them all, um, one by one. And he also raped the the, the daughter, the twenty four year old. Um, he raped her, um, and then killed her after that. And same sort of. Same sort of thing as you see at the crime scenes in Gainesville. He, you know, he cleaned up uh, after himself at the at the murder scene. He was very careful to basically, you know, he like cleaned out the the girl after he raped her, um, washed her out with um, whatever sort of um, liquid soap or detergent or whatever they had there at their house. He used that to wash her out and. Um, cleaned that up well. Cleaned that. He even uh, went so far as to put the her clothing in the in the washing machine there and run it through the wash in the washing machine at their house. So, so he was really careful in that regard, you know. And he he would also remove the tape that he used to you know to bind them and stuff. He after they were dead, he took the tape and everything, so not, not to leave any evidence of that as well. So he was pretty. He was pretty smart in that regard as far as um, covering his tracks and, you know, cleaning up the crime scenes, making it more difficult for police to have anything to go on. And it ended up being the same sort of situation as uh, as in Gainesville that the police, you know, they really suspected someone else. They very strongly suspected um, Julie, the 24-year-old um, woman. Uh, they strongly suspected her uh, ex-boyfriend as being a murderer. So it was an, another instance of uh, going after the wrong guy. Why did they suspect her, though? I mean, I'm sorry. Why did they suspect him? What, what did he do to to put himself on their radar? Well, they. Ha- I think they that by that point they you know they weren't um, they weren't on good terms anymore and. Um, I don't recall the exact reason why they really went after him, but he definitely came up pretty quick as their as a top suspect for them. They really um, really looked at him for a long time, and you know didn't really have any other leads uh, in the case either. So I'm sure that kind of helped them point the finger at him as, as the one that they thought did it. Okay. Did he take any trophies? He did. Um, in the Gainesville cases, he mutilated uh, the bodies um, of his victims there. Um, I think all of them were mutilated in some form or fashion, except perhaps for the last two. Uh, he he apparently was disturbed at some point or ran out of time and didn't do what he typically did. But, but yeah, he... Um, I know on one of the girls, he cut off her both of her nipples and took them. Um, 
And, um, you know, he, he also, like I said, he also mutilated the bodies, um, especially the second crime scene, um, which was his third victim in Gainesville, um, Krista Hoyt. He, uh, that, that crime scene was really horrific. Um, the fact that, you know, after, after raping her and after killing her, he eviscerated her. So he, you know, stabbed her in the abdomen and slit her open all the way up to her breastbone and then cut her nipples off and ended up decapitating her, cut her head off, and ended up um, placing her head on a bookshelf um, directly across from her bed and then positioned the head so that it looked like her head was looking at her own body. So real, you know, real uh, disturbing crime scene to, to come to, which is what he wanted to do. That's the effect he wanted to have. Uh, he really wanted whoever came upon the crime scene to really be traumatized, uh, be traumatized. Exactly. Yes. Uh, wow. He was a monster. Unbelievable. Um, okay. So let's, let's talk about tracking him down. How did they approach this? I know that at some point, you know, they had to say, listen, People can't be by yourself. You know, you have to just watch out for each other. At what point did that take place? You know, they didn't have any choice. They had to warn the public about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, after the, you know, once these bodies started being discovered, so, you know, the first two were discovered on the 24th of August. Uh, Krista Hoyt's body, the one he decapitated, was discovered the next day, the 25th. Um Oh, sorry, I got that wrong. That, that's the uh, the date they were killed. The first two were killed on the 24th. Krista Hoyt was killed on the 25th. And then the next two Gainesville victims um, were killed the next day, the 26th. So it was bam, 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 one, two, three, three days in a row. He, he killed, he had victims three nights in a row. Uh, and then the bodies were discovered also three days in a row, um, but a few days afterwards. So. He killed the first two of the 24th, and their bodies were found two days later, I guess, on the 26th is what it was. And then Krista Hoyt's body was found the next day, the 27th, and then the other two Gainesville victims were found the next day, the 28th. So, as you can imagine, I mean, put yourself back in in Gainesville at that time, and, you know, you're reading the newspaper headlines, two college girl roommates, um, you know, brutally murdered. So Gainesville wasn't a a city where murder was a common occurrence and certainly not a double homicide like that. So that certainly got everybody's attention. And then, you know, the next day you're reading in the newspaper, oh, another body has been found and it's another gruesome crime scene. And, uh, you know, the headline proclaims that all three of the victims were mutilated. So, yeah, now you're getting a little concerned and worried about what's going on, right? And then the next day, there's another headline, another news story comes out. Two more victims, the same thing, brutally murdered in their apartment. So, yeah, the panic starts setting in for sure. So the police at this point know that 
they have a serial killer out there and they don't have any real leads. I mean, they, they start pursuing people that it turns out had nothing to do with it, but they really don't know for sure who's doing it. And, and certainly the public uh, hasn't had any inclination that, uh, that whoever's responsible for this is, has been captured or, um, you know, is otherwise not in the area anymore. So, so the panic certainly set in. Yeah. Okay. So did they, um, did they reach out to the FBI to try to get some type of profile on this guy? Yes, they did work with, um, the FBI folks there, the Quantico folks, the, um, the, the behavioral profilers, some of them came down, um, and gave them input on the cases, but, the, they actually backed the theory that this other guy, that this um, Edward Humphrey, seemed like a very viable suspect for it. And you know, honestly, he, he did. I mean, he had he had a history of run-ins with the police. Uh, he had a history of manic depression. Um, you know, he was known to have been in the area when all these things were going on. He was a part-time student there at University of Florida. Um, so there were there were certainly a lot of things about him uh, that would lend themselves to having him be a, a prime suspect like that. I want to ask you just a personal opinion. Why do you think the United States has more serial killers or produces more serial killers than any other country? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's a similar question to why do we have so many mass gun sh shootings, you know? Um, you know, other countries have exposure to the same sorts of things we do. I mean, some people try to say, oh, well, we just have a more violent history and culture, you know, going back to the pilgrims coming over and fighting the native Americans and things. And, um, and, you know, of course the, the, the expansion into the West and the wild West and all that sort of thing. Some people think it's just inherent in our culture, but um, I don't know. That's a really tough question. I think if anybody really ever came up with an answer to that, I mean, hopefully we could do something about it, but um, I'm, I'm not really sure what, what it is. What do you think it is? I don't know. Something happened, though, I think in. Well, I, I tell you what, I saw this report and I forget the name of the university that's actually keeping track of this in conjunction with the FBI. But um, something happened, I would say, starting in the 70s that really skyrocketed, um, you know, just as far as like serial killers just coming out of the woodworks Um and with with uh, when I saw the report, it showed that the 90s really was the peak. So there was like something like 900 serial killers in the 90s in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. and, and and tons of them operating at one time. Um, and that includes men and women, too. So surprisingly, from that report, I saw that there were more women than I thought. You know, they are still rare, but there there are a lot. Really, the numbers is surprising. Uh, but the main, um, like the main racial uh, background is, of course, is more whites. But 
blacks come right behind it. I mean, I, I thought that black serial killers were rare, but apparently not. Not not according to this report that I saw, um, which is interesting. Oh, too. well, yeah, I mean, I guess the, uh, uh, the, the guy recently, right, is right. he, um, in Detroit. Supposedly he has he has the most victims ever. Right. So, right. What you talking about the yeah. guy that's in, in, in Detroit that just killed himself. Right. Um, oh, no, no, no. no I'm talking you, about, you ta- you're talking yeah. about the guy, the old guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah his name escapes me at the moment. But yes, that guy. Yeah. But yes. he's been doing it for decades and decades and decades. Yeah. Decades. Uh, Samuel, yes. Samuel, Samuel Little, I think his name There was. you go. That's him. Sam Little. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. him. So he'd been doing it for a long, long time. Undetected. Yeah. So, yeah, he had more than anybody. So, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very but, interesting. Know, go ahead. It seems like a lot of them, though, they have they have issues, certainly at home growing up, Um, you know, like in Rowling's case, his father had mental issues himself and his father was very physically abusive, um, not just to Danny Rowling, but also to his his mother, Danny's mother. Um, and, And he was also, you know, verbally abusive as well. So he did a lot of a lot of things to Danny when he was growing up that. Um, you know, really um, had an impact on Danny's self-esteem and, you know, his self-worth and how he saw himself and kind of his place in in the world. And, um, you know, that certainly has something to do with it, I think. So, yeah. you know, it gets back to the, gets back to the nature nurture question, you know, are these, are these people born this way? Is there something about them? Physically, physiologically, it's very strange because something like I said, you know, I'll send you this report after this um, interview, but um, something happened because the serial kill, like like the number was total for the United States, like 79. And then that next decade was like 200 and something. And then the next decade was like 600. And so, so we were having like huge jumps there between decades and it's like you know how how is that possible you know what is happening in our society that makes these huge jumps in the number of serial killers possible yeah i'm interested in seeing that report you mentioned um it's it's there's 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 got to be some sort of commonality there um and uh you know again i think it really gets back to that is there something they're born this way. Is it something with the environment? Is it something, you know, with the home environment? Is it something with the, the community environment? Is it a mix of all of them? Um, but, uh, but yeah, we certainly seem to have more than our fair share. Yeah. Way more than our fair share. Okay. So, okay. Let's talk about Danny Rowling's, um, anom- didn't he have some type of anomaly concerning his blood type? Like his semen was one type and his blood type was something else. And they had never seen that before. Like he was, they called uh, him a secretor. They said he was a secretor, meaning I guess there's blood in his semen. But is that, have you heard that? Yeah. He, yeah. He was, he was, just, uh, as you say, he was this term of secretor. Um, so, I mean, that certainly would help them once they got um, a sample f- from him to be able to match it to. Um, and, you know, the way that happened was pretty fortuitous. Fortuitously, um, they had they had arrested Danny for robberies. I mean, it, 
in addition to, you know, peeping and raping and murdering, he also liked to rob places. So after the Gainesville killings, he went on a robbery spree um, around Florida. Um, Robin, you know, they're nearby cities around the Gainesville area into Tampa and um, eventually ended up getting arrested for one of these robberies. And so while he was there in, in jail um, for the, the robbery, he had some tooth issues and ended up having some dental work done. Had a, had a tooth pulled while he was in jail there. And the, um, you know, the folks there, one of the folks there in the jail saved the, the gauze that was used during the procedure that had his blood on it and everything. And, um, they, they took that and, you know, ran tests on it. And that's, that's when he ended up becoming the top suspect, but that was, uh, that was a good, oh, about five months or so after the, the murder. So it, it certainly took a while for them to really, um, you know, put the, put the focus on him. Okay. You mentioned the fact that he took trophies. Did they find his trophies or where he kept the trophies when they arrested him finally? No, because he actually, I guess these, the, the nipples that he had taken, he just ended up tossing them apparently, um, eventually. So he didn't hold on to them long-term. He just kind of took them temporarily, I guess, and then got rid of them. So they never found uh, that sort of thing. Um, you know, they did find some things. He had a, he had a, he was actually staying in a, in the woods, camping in the woods in Gainesville. Um, just before all these murders started happening. And so they did eventually find his campsite there and they found, you know, money with the, the, the dye stains on it from some robberies he had done. They found a gun that he had, um, some other things. And, and one of the interesting things actually they found was a cassette tape recorder and some tapes where he had uh, recorded some things on the tapes, um, kind of messages to his family. Um, and, uh, it's kind of a, a little bit of an insight into his frame of mind and things on those tapes. Um, and, you know, at the, at the end of the, the recording, he, he says that, um, you know, he needs to, he has something he needs to do. So he's going to, he has to sign off. And then, you know, hours later is when he started the first killings for the, in Gainesville there. That's crazy. Didn't the police ask him, you know, listen, we, we have to get some, you know, pubic hair from you because we got to match up some stuff. And then he like <laughs> reached down and grab out like wads of it and give it to the police. Uh, he, he may have. He certainly may have. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's certainly possible. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. He did, he did a lot of wacky things. That's for sure. One of the interesting things about him, too, is, um, you know, after he was arrested and started talking about these and, and, you know, ultimately he ended up confessing to them. But um, one of the things he claimed was that he had these kind of different um, personalities almost to himself. You know, he had his his like Danny Rowling personality and then he had another personality that was a little more outgoing um, that he had a name for, which is basically like Danny spelled backwards. Um, and then he had another personality that was like this kind of demonic personality, which was the one that, you know, that, that caused him to commit these murders and things. Um, and he, he claimed that kind of traced back to when he was serving time in prison years earlier. And 
um, made a almost almost like a deal with the devil kind of thing where he you know he 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 agreed to do a certain number of killings if if he would be helped in his situation there in the prison and kind of help him survive his prison ordeal and stuff like that so he kind of got this demon personality so to speak and um agreed that he would kill a person for each year he spent in prison this is essentially what it boiled down to and so since he was in prison for eight years total he ended up killing eight people okay and then that's why he stopped and that's why he stopped after eight is what he claimed okay well this has been a fantastic interview jt before we go please tell my listeners where they can find out more information about you or anything else you're working on well, i have a website jthunter.org um at stays pretty up to date on what I'm doing has all my works there. Most of all my books are on amazon.com. Just, you know, look up JT Hunter and they're all on there. Um, those are the best places to look. What are you working on now? Yeah, I'm actually finishing up a book. Um, it's a little bit further back in time to place in the late fifties. Um, it's about the, uh, the lonely hearts killers. It was a, a man and woman who met through, classified ads in the news well not in the newspaper they were um kind of these dating clubs they had back then where you would write in and join the club and then you would get a list of you know other people that were interested in meeting people um so they uh, they called them lonely hearts clubs and so they met through one of these and then they ended up um getting together and fleecing a lot of women uh, out of their, their savings and also ended up killing quite a few of them as well. Um, pretty interesting story. Um, that's what I'm finishing up right now. And then I got a couple other interesting stories in the works as well. One's in Florida, one's in um, New Mexico. But, uh, but lots of stuff coming down down the pipe. Serial killers? Uh, the Only Hearts killers certainly qualified as serial killers, yes. Anyway, I'll keep tabs on you and definitely have you come back on the show. I really enjoy talking to you, JT. Yes, please do. I enjoy talking to you as well, K-Town, and um, I uh, look forward to hoping to talk to you again in the future sometime. All right, that's going to bring this one to a close. My special guest is author J.T. Hunter, and the name of this book is called A Monster of All Time, The True Story of Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper, and it is available for your reading pleasure on Amazon in Kindle, audiobook, or paperback formats. Go on over and check out JT's website is jthunter.org. And I will have more of these true crime writers and gruesome murders for you next week. If you haven't already, please take a moment to post a five-star rating and review if you are enjoying the show. I am your host, K-Town, and I will see you next time on 7.